Welcome to the Outpost Church Podcast. Here's our message from our recent Sunday gathering. We hope you're encouraged. Joyfully giving thanks. Can you just turn to the person next to you and say those words? Joyfully giving thanks. Even if they're a little way away. Joyfully giving thanks. Can you try it like you're really not happy? Just joyfully giving thanks. And try it as though you are really happy. Joyfully giving thanks. There's a bunch of Bibles here. Um, If you would like to grab one of these Bibles, please do. I just ask that everyone opens to Colossians. So whether that's on your phone, whether it's on a Bible that you brought, or whether it's on one of these, please open to Colossians. And we're going to be in Colossians chapter 1. Joyfully giving thanks. This is a treasure hunt. Can anyone find those words? Joyfully giving thanks. Hey, gold star, Esther. What verse? So if you have the CSB and some other translations as well, it straddles two verses. So joyfully comes as the last word of uh, verse 11, and then giving thanks is the first two words of verse 12. Joyfully giving thanks. Something that I've noticed in my own life is that there are things that I find it easier to give thanks for than others, but there are not that many things that I can joyfully give thanks for. It adds a whole nother layer to it. It's not just giving thanks. You can say thank you for pretty much anything, but to joyfully give thanks is quite significant. Christy was joyfully giving thanks for the arrival of her new baby niece. So her niece is now about a month old, but she got to spend some time with her in Tasmania over this past week. She got to joyfully give thanks for the little gift that is Iona. Spent time with her nephew as well, who's seven, um, and with her brother and and sister-in-law, joyfully giving thanks. Um, And myself and my kids joyfully gave thanks when she came back uh, and helped restore some order to our home. Um, And there are a whole bunch of things that we just find it so natural to joyfully give thanks for. Riley's Greens. Christy's been joyfully giving thanks for Riley's Greens. Um, since she's returned, Um, and she just, yeah, a number of times, joyfully giving thanks. Have you tasted how fresh they are? They're amazing. Joyfully giving thanks. (laughs) Yeah, she made it for herself and for me, so we both shared in that delight at about that time. Um, Well, that's good. One... Um, thing that comes to mind uh, for me when I think about joyfully giving thanks is a sense of expectation on myself and on others that we would joyfully give thanks to the Father. And if we read the rest of this scripture, like it is amazing 
the stuff that we're joyfully giving thanks for, joyfully giving thanks to the Father who has enabled you to share in the saints' inheritance in the light. That is a huge thing. And yet it's so easy for us to read passages like this and find ourselves unmoved. But we don't want to be fake. We don't want to be just pretending that we're excited about something if we're not feeling it. So there's this tension in there. And what do you do with that tension? There's a song that some of you might remember from way back, like 20 odd years ago. um, And it was, I could sing of your love forever. Um, And there's this line in it that says, and when the world has seen the light, they will dance with joy like we're dancing now. And I remember singing that um, next to a friend of mine, and he just leant across and whispered in my ear, because the whole room full of people are not dancing as we're singing that song. And he just sort of whispers in my ear, is that a threat? There's another song at a similar time um, called The Happy Song, um, which was very similar. Um, and it was so uh, exuberant in, in praise and adoration. And it's the sort of song that works if you're just over the moon and you're dancing away. Um, but so much of the time, we, we say these words, we read these words, and they're just not hitting us at all. We sang a song, um, first song that we sang has a line in it, saying, my heart, was it about my heart pounding when you feel the room? Something along those lines. It should move us. Like the reality of who he is and what he's done should move us. And so my question today for myself and for each of us is why doesn't it? Why doesn't it move us more regularly? Our heart should pound as we become aware of his presence. It is right that we respond in an emotional way to a God who gave us those emotions. We shouldn't be dominated by our emotions, but our emotions should reflect what we treasure. Like if you suddenly found out that you had a million dollars in your bank account, you're probably going to respond in some kind of emotional way. It's probably going to affect you in an emotional kind of way. This news of our inheritance should affect us. Inheritance is an interesting one, and and some of you know better than than me um, what an inheritance means. And an inheritance has grief attached to it because you've just lost someone. But suddenly you can do things that you couldn't do before. You have access to things you didn't have access to before. So many people that have been renting have been able to buy a house. People with a mortgage have been able to pay it off because they've received an inheritance. An inheritance is a game changer. And yet, we are talking about Jesus, and he had already come back to life well before we were born, and so there's not that grief attached to it, but in the same way as you inheriting a million dollars would change your life, inheriting what he gives will change our lives. Like, that is a tiny comparison. Inheriting a million dollars is a tiny comparison. So why would that impact us emotionally when this stuff sometimes doesn't? I'm going to pray, and then we're going to to dive into this a bit more. Father, we need you. We declare that you are good. We declare that you have done amazing things for us. 
we declare that we have access to the same things that Jesus deserves. He has access to them. We also have access to them because we are co-heirs with Christ. We are heirs of the Father, co-heirs of Christ. It is Jesus that deserved those things, but it is we that get to share in them. And I pray that this reality would hit us so that we can joyfully give thanks, that our default mode would be joyfully giving thanks to the Father. Come Holy Spirit, in Jesus' name, amen. So the rest of this passage, starting from verse 13. So we're giving, 12, giving thanks to the Father who has enabled you to share in the saints' inheritance in the light. He rescued us from the domain of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of the Son He loves. In Him we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Let me tell you about what the Father has done. He has transferred us into a different kingdom. We don't have powers of darkness that lord it over us. All of us who believe have been transferred into the kingdom of the Son He loves. And in Him we have, what? Redemption. The forgiveness of sins. As far as the east is from the west, that's how far He's removed our transgressions from us. He is the one. Jesus is the one who deserved it. Like We're not in a kingdom based on what we have done. We're in a kingdom based on what He has done on our behalf. And it's huge. We're not waiting until we live free from whatever sin we are most ashamed of or feel trapped in. It's not for us to try and prove our innocence to Him, but rather just receive the free gift of a blank slate. And better than a blank slate. We don't just start having our sin removed. We start from a position of having our sin removed and his righteousness credited to us. And that ought to be an overwhelming reality. It ought to actually impact us. So we joyfully give thanks that we have an inheritance. We have a father who loves us. We have a new king and a new kingdom, and our sins have been forgiven. But what is the context of this? So, as we noted, this is partway through a paragraph, partway through a sentence, partway through a verse, when we started with joyfully giving thanks. So we back it up to the previous couple of words. It says, endurance and patience, so that you may have great endurance and patience who here would like to have great endurance and patience so the context of this whole thing if we were to go back to verse 9 is that this is a prayer that Paul is praying over the church at Colossae and we actually have the word the prayer that he's prayed written out for us and it's when it's a prayer like this it's not automatic. So the things that he's praying for are not a given, but they are available to us. And he's praying that that would be the reality of every member of that church in Colossae, that they would be joyfully giving thanks to the Father. So prior to that, he says about being given great endurance and patience. 
It's been said that everyone wants a miracle, but no one wants to need a miracle. It's pretty vulnerable when you need a miracle. I think it's kind of similar in this space of endurance and patience, great endurance and patience. Everyone wants to have great endurance and great patience. I don't think many people want to need great endurance and great patience because it means you're not getting what you want. So the context of overflowing with gratitude, the context of joyfully giving thanks to the Father is patience and endurance, which must mean there's times that we don't get what we want. In fact, consistently, we're not getting the things that we want. But in the midst of that, joyfully giving thanks to the Father. What if our ability to give thanks, our ability to have joy that overflows, joy that is unspeakable, joy that is contagious, was not dependent upon our circumstances. That would be pretty significant, I reckon. It would be pretty hard to discourage someone who isn't too fussed about their circumstances. They have joy regardless. There's a prayer... Uh, that Paul prays, recorded in Ephesians chapter 3. It's Christie's favorite chunk of scripture. And in that, there's a very famous line um, saying that he is able to do immeasurably more than we could ask or think. We tend to ask and think and be focused on stuff. And we think, oh, if I had this answer to prayer then I would have joy. If this relationship was sorted out, then I would have peace. If this problem was resolved, then everything would be fine. But I think my hunch is that him doing immeasurably more than we can ask or think actually bypasses our need to have what we want and actually makes us able to endure, able to suffer. Sounds fun, doesn't it? And actually be okay. I want to see more miracles than I've seen so far in my life. I've seen some good stuff, but I want to see more. But I don't want me singing things like the goodness of God and he's never going to let me down, I don't want that to be contingent on answered, a particular answered prayer. And I'm conscious often as we sing that song that that can be really hard. You're never going to let me down. The scripture says those who trust in him will never be put to shame. Our trust in him is rock solid. Well, he is rock solid. He is the faithful one. Whatever trust we put in him, that will never, ever be put to shame. So my hope today is that we become more able to joyfully give thanks in any and every circumstance. And the way that we do it, let's go back to verse 9 um, and step through from the start. So Paul says, this is what we're asking for. 
For this reason also, since the day we heard this, he's heard about their faith, he's heard about their love, we haven't stopped praying for you. Man, who would like to have someone who never stops praying for them? Do you know that Jesus lives interceding for every single one of us? He's interceding at the right hand of the Father, always praying for us. But how good if we join him in praying for others. I had a couple of answered prayers this morning, which I'm very excited about. And it is amazing to have that privilege of partnering with him. Um, And so good. We are asking, this is the prayer, that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will. Filled with the knowledge of his will. The easiest thing in the world is to be filled with the knowledge of your own will. We see it really clearly in toddlers. They are very much filled with the knowledge of their will. They know what they want. But this is filled with the knowledge of his will, being God. Filled with the knowledge of God's will. If you are filled with the knowledge of God's will, you are not filled with the knowledge of any other will. Someone that wants to dominate you, a particular political persuasion, you are filled with the knowledge of his will. And that is an absolute game changer. If you know his will, and that is dominating your thinking, your understanding, and in a practical sense, it's not saying you don't know anything else, it's not saying you stop doing your job properly, but it's saying that you are so aware of what he wants that it trumps everything else. And so in your job, if an opportunity comes up to advance your career or shortcut something for yourself and make it easier for you or to love another person, of course you are going to love another person because you are filled with the knowledge of his will. His will is your motivator. You want what he wants. And what does he want? For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son so that whoever believes in him may not perish but have everlasting life. Hallelujah. What does the next verse say? For God did not send... But to... No, I forgot. (laughs) But so they might be saved through him. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world but so that the world would be saved through him. What is God's will? His will is he wants his kids. He wants his kids back. He is the ultimate father. Some of you know what it's like to have a child that goes off the rails. So does God. And he wants all his kids back. His will is that we would all be reconciled to him. We read later on in Colossians that, For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him, being in Jesus, and through him to reconcile everything to himself, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. It is God who wants reconciliation. It's God who has done everything to reconcile us. Yet we read in 2 Corinthians 5, be reconciled to God. That's what we are to declare to this world. He's done everything to make it a possibility he's done everything to make it something that all we need to do is to turn to him 
and receive. But he doesn't force it upon anybody. He wants it more than anything. He's desiring that none should perish, but that all should come to repentance and a knowledge of him. He wants us to know him. It's a beautiful passage, Galatians chapter 4, where it says, but now that you've come to know God, or rather, it could say, but even better than coming to know God, that he knows you. So many people get a celebrity to take a selfie of them with that celebrity. There's not too many celebrities who then post that picture on their own social media. It's one thing for you to know God, but how about the creator of everything? How good was that introduction from Nick before? Just reminding us, this is the creator of everything and everyone. This is God, and he knows you. You're the picture in the wallet. I think it's Todd White, isn't it? He's got his wallet, and he's showing the picture of you. Like that's what he, he wants his kids back. He wants that relationship with everyone. He wants it with us, and he wants that with everyone that we will ever see. That's what he wants. That's his will. If we're filled with the knowledge of his will, we're probably not going to write people off. There's probably going to be a whole bunch of hope that we have. And there's probably going to be some willingness for us to actually take risks to give people that chance to experience God's love for themselves. I think it's going to be a game changer. Filled with the knowledge of his will in all wisdom and spiritual understanding. All of it. Not a little bit. All wisdom and spiritual understanding. That's what Paul is praying. That's what we get to pray for ourselves and for others. Why? So that you may do what? There's a bunch of things coming up here that can sound overwhelming in the other way. Nathan, your job this week is to walk worthy of the Lord. Dave, this week you're going to be fully pleasing to him. Got it? Kez, you're going to bear fruit in every good work. That's your job for this week. He says all those things, but those things are simply fruit of being filled with the knowledge of him. If we're filled with his knowledge... My closest experience to being filled with the knowledge of God is times that I've spent just in worship of him. And it's usually in amongst a whole bunch of other people that are doing the same. And it's usually in the you know, camps and conferences and those sorts of things where it's an extended period of time. And everything else has taken the most massive back seat, like that old um, chorus, the things of earth grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. Who cares about all that other stuff that I cared so much about not that long ago? When we are filled with the knowledge of his will, suddenly we are able to walk worthy of the Lord. Walking worthy of the Lord can sound pretty confronting. But it's what he has given us the capacity to do.
as we trust in him, as we're focused on what he wants. Fully pleasing to him. So this thing of joy that we hit later on, it was the, we read this out in prayer um, meeting this morning, and Margot pointed it out as she read out from the J.B. Phillips um, translation, and it uses the word joy of God, that we give him joy, fully pleasing to him, that we delight his heart. You get to bring God joy. That's our privilege. That is what we have been created to do. That it would be a two-way street. He gives us joy and we give him joy. So that you may walk worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work and growing in the knowledge of God. We get to be fully pleasing to King Jesus. Here's the translation. J.B. Phillips says, that you may bring joy to his heart. You may bring joy to God's heart. Bearing fruit in every good work. We want to be fruitful. How do we be fruitful? According to John 15, abide in the vine and you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. We need to acknowledge both of those things, that we can't actually do any of this ourselves. There's times I get way too excited about my own abilities and it often doesn't go well. It often goes really bad. But when I just focus on him and what he wants and go, I don't think I could do this very well on my own. In fact, I can't do it at all on my own. I need you. I actually need you right now. It's amazing how things can, can turn around. Growing in the knowledge of God. Going back to the fruitfulness though, like we want to be fruitful. We're created to be fruitful. Like we, the wor- one of the worst things that could ever happen is the feeling that you're just biding time, that you're just doing busy work. Like we're created to be fruitful, that our day and how we've invested it makes a difference for eternity. And that's what we get to do as our eyes are fixed upon him. It is a natural outworking of that. And some of this sounds too good to be true, but we're growing in the knowledge of God. There's always more to know. Imagine knowing God closer than our nearest earthly companion. That's what we're called into, that he would be our most intimate friend. But when it's feeling like, no, there's no way this can be true, we get verse 11, which says, being strengthened with all power according to his Glorious might. It doesn't say according to our need. It's according to his glorious might. What is greater, our need or his might? He made everything. There is no comparison between any need we ever have and his glorious might. 
being strengthened with all power, just like we had all wisdom before, all power according to his glorious might, so that you may have great endurance and patience, joyfully giving thanks to the Father. It all comes back to our dependence upon him, that we would see him, that we would be filled with the knowledge of his will, and that we would be strengthened by his great power. Not our own abilities, which he gave us and are so much better when they're surrendered to him. This is consistent across what Paul prays. So Ephesians, Philippians and Colossians have got recorded prayers of Paul. The first one in each case is something to do with knowledge. So Ephesians chapter 1 verse 17, I pray that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, would give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened so that you may know. And he hits up three significant things that make a big difference if we know them. But he's praying for knowledge. And then in Philippians, and this is my prayer, that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight so that you may discern what is best. He's praying for knowledge. And then here in Colossians, praying for knowledge. At the start of this prayer, praying for knowledge. We have a messed up society when it comes to understanding knowledge. Messed up in many ways. But we have these, these two sides. Like one, you don't tend to think of um, a theologian, like someone who's invested so much time in just understanding the scriptures, interpreting, perhaps you know, they've translated um, all those sorts of things. You don't tend to think of theologians as being the most likely to live like Jesus, to live like the one they've studied. And it's true in so many areas that we have knowledge that is seemingly so great, but the Jewish understanding of knowledge was if you don't do it, you don't know it. If you're not living out of the reality of that knowledge, you don't know it at all. But we have so much stuff that we know in some way in our head, but we don't put into practice. Then we have the reaction to that, which says, I'm just a doer. I don't care about learning more stuff. I'm just going to get it done. The gift of knowledge is something that we should all receive. And we should all spend time seeking to grow in our understanding and our application. God cares about knowledge. He doesn't call us to a blind faith. Knowledge comes from the Spirit. Jesus makes that very clear. When the Spirit of truth comes, this is from John 16, when the Spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all the truth. And then that high priestly prayer John chapter 17, he says, This is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God and the one you have sent, Jesus Christ. Knowledge is the spirit that brings that knowledge to us. We are to seek to grow in our knowledge and to grow in our application of that knowledge. And one evidence of this is that we joyfully give thanks to the Father 
in any and every circumstance. That we would focus upon him and his will. That we would depend upon his strengthening for us to actually live it out. We need to become increasingly dependent upon him. That is the goal. I'd like to invite the band to come out. They're going to lead us again. If we find ourselves in a, in a space where we are unmoved by the incredible realities of what Jesus has done for us, here's two things that we can seek. His will and his power. That we would be equipped to live as he calls us to live. The knowledge of Jesus and his will. His power according to his glorious might. And yes, bring on the miracles, but let us be joyfully giving thanks regardless of our circumstances. Because what he has given us is good. It is always utterly good.